this podcast is called Thanks kids This is a podcast about books, reading, listening, creating and enjoying them No prior knowledge is needed No level of education required If you're interested in the literary world Come with me, Jasper Peach While I draw back the velvet curtain And have some informal chats with people who are part of the biz I'm a slow reader I have some pretty funky brain fog going on and I love books. It takes me a while to read them and I mostly listen to them. So I wanted to make a podcast that reflects all types of participation in the enjoyment of literature. Slow Reader is recorded and produced on unceded, stolen Jar Jar Warren country. I'm joined now by Olivia Musket, who is a Wheeler Centre Hot Desk Fellow, um, a Twitter legend, and someone I wanted to talk to about books today. Um, Welcome, Olivia. Thanks for having a chat with me. Thanks for inviting me to chat with you. I wanted to talk to you about books because um, you are not cited in the same way that many people are. Tell us a bit about you. Okay, well, yeah, I'm not cited in the same way that most people are because I have I have no none no sight um, at all. I can't even tell when you've turned the lights off in in a room or anything. Um, so very much relying on uh, the audio and the touch, and not so much. So I didn't grow up um, blind. I grew up visually impaired. So lots of large print. I could actually read standard size text, and I am obsessed with reading. Always have been. Mm. My parents would come into my room as a child and be like, why are you still reading? Um, (laughs) Go to sleep. Um, Like, if this is the worst thing I ever do, you know, come on, guys. So, and lost what vision I did have when I was about 13 years old, when I think reading plays an important, I don't know, part in shaping a person's identity, like the reading you do or you don't do. Um, in those in those years and I'm also like I also write Um, so books have become really important to my life in that way um, Mm. as well and I don't think that would have ever happened if I hadn't had the access to reading that I have been able to have yeah and it was looking you know like for a few years that maybe that wouldn't happen Um, right so, so, you, so at, at 13, you went from vision impaired to, to being not sighted at all. What yeah, term? What, totally what, blind. What? Oh, I say totally blind. Yep, blind or totally, totally blind. blind. Cool, yep. cool, cool. I never want to presume because I know everyone's different. I go yep. for, I won the Crip Lotto. Um, not everyone's <laughs> into that. <laughs> um, but, gosh, I remember the stuff I was reading at 13. It was a lot of Babysitter's Club. And oh yes. <laughs> I started high school and I was devastated that I could only find about two very ratty volumes and it was all a bit highbrow and I went, hold right? on. What's going on here? How am I gonna know what Stacey's wearing? She's so sophisticated. Um, what were you what were you reading at that age? What was it's your main It's so thing? funny that you mentioned the babysitters club because they are some of the first memories I have of audiobooks. Wow. Like that's how I got into the Babysitters Club. Not at thirteen, I was much like much younger, mm. and loved them. I was like a member of the Vision Australia Library back then, as I still am, but it's very different now. So back then, they would send you a little orange plastic, hard plastic container with a bunch of cassette tapes in it. Oh, and fantastic! 
that was how I started with the Babysitters Club. Like, obviously, I, th- I think, I don't even think you could request books back then. Like, you just put in kind of your demographic, right? Yeah. And they yeah. would send you what they thought you might be interested in. Yeah. And, like, then I started reading the Babysitters Club books in print as well because they, you know, couldn't get them to me fast enough. <laughs> and I would, like, you know, scavenge the school library for every single one that they had. Yeah. Um, and then uh, at 13, I, like, in my teens, the start of my teens, I honestly would read anything I could get my hands on. And then at that point when I lost my vision, um, it was a very much a whatever I could get my hands on in the sense of, well, whatever's available in audio, I guess. Yeah, right. So I ended up reading some weird stuff um, and not, not that much, like going from always reading any any pause in life it was like mm. okay book time grab your book yeah to, to not to really not having that much choice and also you know mental health wasn't great either like at that point because you know losing your vision not exactly the easiest thing to wrap your head around sometimes mm. um I remember in year nine so a couple of years like it was kind of a slow process too so in year nine-ish we had to do you know a book report thing speech and my teacher was like, so what have you read? And I was like, well, the only thing I've read, because that's what was given to me from the library, was like the first Twilight book. And mm. like, yeah, I was into that sort of, you know, as a 15-year-old girl in 2009. Mm. But um, also didn't want to like stand up and talk about a book that basically everyone in that room had read. Like I wanted to read something different and interesting and you know offbeat um I didn't want to be a super mainstream whatever that means well um, yeah, and, you, and books are about tapping into worlds that interest you right that you yeah in. yeah yeah so I can't remember the question oh what was I reading so um <laughs> yeah anything that I could find in the library that was vaguely interesting to me and available uh in audio format basically mm. because um my braille wasn't great um, it was very slow and laborious at that point. Mm. Um, still is not as fast as audio for me at all. Um, and a Braille novel has to come in about 37 volumes. Um, Jesus. Yeah, I never thought the about The pages that. are so chunky. Yeah, of course. Yep. Yeah, right. I mean, nowadays I can connect like whatever or, or, um, ebook app. I've got on my phone or whatever to an electronic braille display. So yeah. like huge difference. Um, but yeah, back then that really wasn't an option. I, I don't know why I'm sort of focusing on on 13 because you've had this whole life and you've got this whole story, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd love to hear about the changes in technology and how, mm. how things have, have become more accessible. Like even, even for me, just, I don't know, just audiobooks have been really helpful. But the the change in in podcasts as well over the last decade, there are just millions of them now. Millions yeah. of podcasts and and ways to to access information, stories, um, communities. What what has it been like for you um, in terms of technology? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, as I said, you know, starting off with chunky 37 volume novels in braille or um cassette tapes right and like Mm. I 
I'm, you know, I'm still in my 20s. It hasn't been that long of a life yet. Um, <laughs> and to go from, you know, rewinding cassette tapes and books being on, you know, 10 or, or 15 cassettes, you know, depending on how long they are, obviously. And then, you know, to CDs, which were slightly easier, but it's hard to take a book with you, you know, um, yeah. unless you've got a, a discman or whatever. Mm. Um, and then to now being able, like I said, to use Bluetooth to connect an ebook to a Braille display um, or, you know, browse an online selection of audiobooks even in from the library, like I'm obsessed with BorrowBox, just look for what you want, press a button, and it's there, you know, in your headphones in about three minutes. Yeah. You know, um, you can take it anywhere. Yeah, just having that books in my pocket all the time mm. um, as opposed to, you know, these big machines or, or things that are really difficult to carry around. So the change is just... Oh, it's incredible. And having, you know, text-to-speech software inbuilt in devices, like not having to buy special equipment, mm. um, being able to open a phone out of the box, you know, click on some settings and it's it's talking to you. And I, I'm a big fan of um, accessing books that way too, so reading them with the, the sort of robotic uh text-to-speech voices which have also improved dramatically yes I was um, really curious about that because my wife actually sent me a link to to one of those those things that you can use um mm. or a program or whatever it is and I I've been very reluctant to try it because I love the theater of an audiobook I love yeah I love hearing that that performer's yeah. spin on it, or sometimes it's the author, and I really enjoy that process. Oh, that's too. a fun process too. Yes, yeah. and I love that. I love that. But I think for me, it stemmed from the fact that even audiobooks are more prevalent these days. Mm. And even five years ago, it was much less likely that you'd find the audiobook. And if it yeah. was a book I really wanted to read, I'm like, well, I want to read it. I want to read it now. I'm going to use <laughs> the text-to-speech voice. Yeah, and I've got, I've personally gotten to the point where I, it, it, my brain kind of filters out the voice. Yeah, right. So to me, I mean, I'm hearing it obviously, but to me, it's very much a similar process to reading, you know, reading something with your eyes. And it's that, that internal voice you get when you do that um, is yeah, how right. I find with the, the voice. But I think that took a long time and a lot mm. of practice to be able to sort of ignore that and filter that through. So a lot of, you know, I work with a lot of um, kids who are blind and vision impaired and, you know, know a lot of adults who are as well. And they're like, ugh, no, how do you read a novel like that? Like, I don't know. I just I just do. I just can't. I just have to read all the things. That's yeah. how. <laughs> <laughs> gimme, 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 gimme. You're like Pac-Man with books. <laughs> yeah. My dad used, my dad always used to say to people, oh, Olivia, oh, she just eats books. Just eats them. <laughs> Can't get enough. But yeah, that's actually accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yum, yum, yum. Uh, what are you writing at the moment? What are you working on at the Wheeler Centre? Mm. Oh well, my residency is uh, it starts in September, mm. um, but I will be working on, and I'm sort of working on in between a million other things, um, a middle grade novel um, about two blind characters. They're written from both their perspectives, so that's a fun, fun challenge. Um, and they're very different experiences of um, 
being blind. Uh, one is like was born without sight and, you know, has it all figured out if she thinks she does. Um, and the other one is newly uh, newly and suddenly uh, blind. Yeah. And that's sort of a space where they get into that they're kind of forced into this friendship that neither of them wants. But then because it's middle grade and I love middle grade, mm-hmm. um, they become friends, obviously. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, and I think part of me stuck on, I mean, I love books and media and anything for kids. And I, I don't know if part of that is because of the age, like I lost access to a lot of those things. Um, could be, I don't know, but I think it's just such a fun space and it's like the sort of book that I would have been obsessed with and, oh, you know, representation, right? seeing, yes. seeing yourself in a character that you can actually identify with and don't go, ew, that's not what my life mm. is like at all. Um, do you find that do you find that a lot of representation um written by sighted people is quite presumptuous oh presumptuous and generally just weird and not weird in the good way um (laughs) it's just like that's not that's not how it is I feel like we're moving away from the kind of oh sympathy pity inspiration kind of lens Um, that I grew up with seeing any blind character or any disabled character really, you know, portrayed in that that way. I feel like we're starting to move away from that a bit, which is nice. Um, but um, yeah, it's always it's always full of all these weird assumptions, and mm. um, so it's a bit icky. But yeah, like I say, yeah, moving away from that, and I want to do my little little part to add to that sort of pool of representation (laughs) is are there much own voices stories for the blind and vision impaired community um I still haven't found one that I can wholeheartedly say yeah it was great it was awesome Mm. um I mean look and that could be that there are they are out there but they're just not in my genres that I like to read I've done a couple of like authenticity reads um so it's not own voices but like there's that shift towards, you know, actually engaging with the community you're trying to represent. Thank and I God. don't think it's, yeah. A, yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's a like fix everything solution. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it makes up for the lack of, you know, representation written by uh, people from the community, whether it's blind and vision impairment or something else. But, um, you know, it changes things and it's an interesting process. And actually both of the books I authenticity redfall came out last month and they're both middle grade so that's that's been an interesting experience for me as well just like writing in that kind of age bracket as well and seeing how other people are representing representing things and I think it's great and they were both really really great books genuinely but also I'm like yeah but it's still not the same yeah, um, yeah. Like you- I was at first, I was like, "Oh, but then I want to write one, and then it takes up space." And I'm like, "It's not the same." No, um, that's it. Do you do you I'm still find? Are you really driven to? Oh God, it's so. I'm so glad to be talking to you about this because this has been on my mind a lot lately. Around the, oh gosh, so many of us feel weird about taking up space, and for so many reasons, whether it's gender, disability, any any kind of um, community background that you have where you're just meant to go with the flow and not make a big deal of yourself and, and not be seen as complaining. Um, 
but I've like I'm 41 and I'm only just now sort of almost getting my head around the fact that if if art doesn't exist around what needs to be said I just need to make it like I, I need to create that art because it's bullshit that it's not there um, yep. and the reasons that it's not there is because we're all meant to um, be nice and polite and whatever other right. lies are, are being, you know, flowing, <laughs> flowing around us 24 hours a day. Um, how does that impact your creative process? And does it, is it like a fire or is it like a, uh, or, a, or I don't know, tell uh, me. All of the above. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I went out, so I, like I started creative writing at uni because I didn't know what else I wanted to do and mm. it was fun. Um, and I was like, no, I don't need to write stuff about disabled identity or being blind or whatever because no one would want to read that. And I don't know what flipped in my head. I honestly couldn't pinpoint it or point to something specific. But I was just like, what absolute rotten crap what where did I get this idea I mean yeah the lack of representation um and why why am I thinking this and it just it's this if I sit back and wait for things they're not going to happen you know it's not it's not out there because you know we're told implicitly that other people can do it better yeah. Other people can represent you much better than you could yourself, you know. Just you just sit back there, little disabled person. And you take what comes and be quiet and shush. And yeah, I, it's it's definitely uh, a place of exasperation, a place of gen like genuinely anger and and just being like, no, I I deserve for my voice and my experience to be heard as much as anybody else more <laughs> sometimes yeah. Yeah. um depending on the context and that you know I, I work I work with kids and they deserve to a have their voices heard but have the opportunity to believe that their voices can and should be heard in um their consumption of media or literature or whatever it might be to say you are valid you are awesome your experience isn't like anyone else's and you can shout about that all you want to you know yeah um so yeah it comes comes from all those places and still i still fight with myself about it mm on a regular basis going, no, you're allowed to apply for this. You're allowed to put your voice out there and say whatever you want. And if it's a complaint or a celebration or, you know, whatever, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it's all valid. And, and who not who knows who it will reach? It's yeah. that's the beautiful thing about putting your your voice out there is that there, there might be thousands of people that are impacted by what you're doing in a positive way and the ripples go on forever. It's a beautiful thing. Um, tell me about, uh, let's let's talk about dickheads on Twitter who say <laughs> audiobooks don't count. What would you like to say to them? Oh, how, how what sort of language am I allowed to use? <laughs> you can, look, I, I put an explicit on every um, episode <laughs> because I am very sweary, so it's really up to you. <laughs> Oh, well, then I would tell them to fuck right off. Um, <laughs> it's just like I think the tweet that sparked this conversation, I mean, I'm still surprised at I thought it was just a like, oh, 
I saw something where someone was just, oh, I read this, but it was, but it was an audio book. Don't get angry. Um, Mm. It wasn't, it's like, what, like, what the fuck? Why is this still happening? And I was just like annoyed and tweeted. And then everyone's like, yeah. And I had some people say, oh, who said that? And I'm like, where have you, where have you been? Who hasn't said Um, that? Who hasn't like, what? Um, And no one has ever had the 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 nerve to say something like that to me like to my face personally because mm. I think they said oh well you know she can't she has no other choice you know audiobooks are for blind people oh my god um where do yeah. we start with that <laughs> well yeah right right not a thing um I mean yeah they're great for blind people but anyway I just where this assumption that it has to go in through the you know, through the eyeball, through the pupil, iris, whatever it's called, the retina, all that, to be counted as reading. Mm. Um, what? Does that mean I haven't read a book in 15 years? I always invite people to come and argue with me that, you know, I haven't read a book in 15 years um, and look at my reading list and tell me just just all the books I haven't read because I've consumed them through my ears or through my fingers. Like, there's still words, it's still this information, it's still the enjoyment, like why do we read, right, mm. for, you know, for education sometimes or work, but a lot of it's for for pleasure and for enjoyment and the fact that people want to come and tell people who love books as much as most of the people I know who, you know, consume audiobooks and ebooks generally do because they a lot of the time the people who just love reading and come and tell them that they're not reading it's just it's just ri- ridiculous I, I I I can't even put it into words sometimes because it's this such this sadness and like anger that that it wells up inside me because mm. it's like how 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 dare you decide that you are the gatekeeper of literacy right who mm. who are you to say to people, oh no, oh no, it doesn't count. Oh, it's just a it's cheating. It's cheating. It's not, it's not cheating because that person, sure, you've experienced it differently, but you've experienced essentially it's the same information, the same words, and it's so subjective anyway. Yeah, Books, isn't it? Reading. Yeah. Like we could have read the exact same book in the same way and experienced it completely differently. So I don't think that was a very articulate answer because I just get so upset. But um, yeah, oh, I just, I just, I can't deal anymore. And I'm usually the person that'll go, oh, that's you know, an interesting ableist perspective you've got there. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, I've I've been guilty of of saying, oh, I I need to read um, books through an audio because of my brain, but. I'm an audio person. I think even if I, I didn't have this this pain disorder and and the fatigue that goes with it, I think mm. that I don't know. I'm all I'm, sound is everything. It's vibration and it and it communicates with such depth that I kind of think it's superior to vision. But that's just me. Um, <laughs> not to not to be hierarchical, but we win. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, I and and I have to pull myself up on it because when that voice creeps in, it is, it is exactly that it is internalized ableism and it's gatekeepy, and it's not what I think, but it's sometimes it it just taps me on the shoulder and says, "Oh, you should you should be apologetic about taking up this space," which is very silly. It's very silly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very glad we've had this discussion. What are you reading at the moment? Okay. This kind of ties in with what we were talking about at the beginning and what I read when I was 13 as well because I saw the theatre adaptation of Looking for Ella Brundy on the weekend. Oh, my God. How was it? How was it? Oh, I love, I love, I love. And I I watched the movie yesterday as well. (laughs) And now I'm, I'm reading the book again. Um, and the movie was is fun and the play was amazing, but oh, there's something about the book. Um, I remember the I, feeling of oh, that book. Oh, wasn't it? Ju- it was just everything to me as a teenager. It's just so, so beautiful, amazing. I, I'm like a Melina Marquetta fangirl, big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, have read all her books several times, but haven't revisited Alabrandi for a long, long time. So mm-hmm. it's just Oh, it's so joyful and amazing. And that was one of the books that I could get an audio. Um, So I remember reading that in year eight and it was a revelation just in so many ways. And that was like, you know, 15 years after it was released or something. Um, And my mum was at the library, I think, and, you know, picked it out for me on CD or whatever because she knew it, you know, as a family of Italian migrants. That was a big thing and that's why she picked it out and I related to it on that level but so so many things about it that hold up to to me reading it now is just mm. oh and her writing is so spectacular mm. um which is a funny too because the audio version I've got is um you know downloaded streamed whatever what do you call that I don't even know um but it's formatted like it clearly used to be on CD or tape or something because oh, right. the chapters are so, like I was trying to navigate through chapters and they're so wacky. <laughs> like <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I'm like, oh, well, they've used the original formatting in this yeah. um, online version. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm currently reading and loving. Oh, I think I'm going to have to revisit it too. It's, yeah, I, I miss that feeling of, of being in that haze of hormones and just finding a book that is everything. It, it's just mm. like, and you, you want to stand in the middle of the town square and go, everyone read this book. It's so good. And you want to write fan mail. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and what about what's, and you can say a few more than one if you want to. No one ever sticks <laughs> to one. What's the best thing you've read in the last year, do you think? Oh, such a tricky question. Um, I know. It's really mean that I ask this, but I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, and best, like, I think a lot of, like, different books serve different purposes and stuff um, as well. Like, I have books that I'll just read because I can't concentrate on anything else mm. um, or I need comfort or, um, you know. Um, but the one that kind of stands out was a pretty pretty recent read actually um that was true true biz have you have you heard of that one no 
Okay, so the author is, so this was recommended, actually Carly Findlay posted about it in one of the, you know, disability, Facebook, arts, people, groups. And I was like looking for something to read at the time. So the author is Sarah, Sarah Novich, Mm -hmm. um, who's a, like, I think she is deaf and a deaf rights activist and the audiobook is about um, three people in a, at a deaf school in the USA. Um, mm. And the, so it comes from the principal's perspective and uh, the principal is a, is a coder and a student who has never interacted with deaf or disabled communities before and one who comes from a long line of deaf people. So the family's deaf, several generations. Oh, my God. That's so juicy. And yeah. Wow. It's juicy and nuanced. Yeah and fascinating and the audiobook was super interesting because I think the print version must have um representations of ASL in it as pictures Mm -hmm. and what they've done to um accommodate for that in the audio version is the author whenever sign is being used the author is signing and has that they've recorded that so you get this really interesting audio um experience of the sign and that just I think it just added a layer of interest um and I I thought it was really cool that they'd done that and included that yeah Um, and uh, it was just look I'm still sorting out my feelings about like the pacing and how it ended and blah 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 but it was it was great it was really good um I got I was like oh I'm looking for something to read you know support uh fellow you know marginalized creatives with disability or whatever and then was like oh this is the writing was really beautiful as well Mm -hmm. um and it just had covered so many viewpoints and experiences and it's so hard to do that um, and I feel like as disabled creatives, sometimes you feel like you have to, like, I'm trying to write this novel from two perspectives because I'm like, got to include different experiences and different viewpoints. Mm. Um, and that's a whole other kettle of fish, like the responsibility you feel to do stuff like that. Oh, um, totally. <laughs> I um, I spoke to um, Jacinta Parsons about her book, um, mm-hmm. Unseen, about living with invisible illness and and I think the way I posed the question was you have this exquisite generosity and that it's not just your story it's the story of you've you've woven in 15 other people's stories um but and she said a similar thing it's a responsibility well of course I can't just talk about myself there's there's so many different factors to the situation and if I was just to bang on about my one individual way of being in this it would be really irresponsible and uh, yeah, that, that that responsibility you feel and the kind of the kind of pressure that I kind of have to talk myself out of sometimes too. It's like you can't represent everyone's experience mm. in one thing. No pressure, I, Olivia. It's, no, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> and I think that's what I've liked about writing memoir as well. Mm. Um, like for growing up disabled or you know, meet me at the intersection or whatever, you know, anthologies I've done. It's like, cool, I am talking about me here. That's allowed. <laughs> like yes, um, yeah. I'm talking about my own experience and that's that's fine. That's the brief. Um, mm. But, yeah, then, then then branching out and trying to create, you know, fictional people that represent a bunch of, wow. um, of stuff. But, yeah, this, this book was, yeah, like you say, it was really juicy. Um, mm. It was very good. 
Yeah, I've but, got um, a, I've got a background as a as an Auslan interpreter, and I used to um, do support work for the Deafblind Association. I think mm-hmm. they've changed names since then, um, but did a bit of Deafblind interpreting, and oh god, it's it's such a the world and the community of people it, I can't imagine someone coming to this book um if, I mean about deafness specifically mm-hmm. um coming to this book and having no prior knowledge it must be really eye-opening because if you come in with no knowledge and you only take what you see in mainstream media which is a whole lot of benevolent slop um it must be a revelation you know to actually get those perspectives from within the community right Oh, it would it would be completely mind melting, I reckon. For so, you know, um, even you know, even for me, I don't know all the you know intricacies of, you know, I know I'm the expert on my disability. That's what I always say, like yes. my yeah. specific me. Um, yeah. So you know, and I have some you know just working in the areas I do and stuff. You know, you gather knowledge, mm. but still those intricacies and day to day practical details. It's like you know, it was, it was, it's always such a, you always learn stuff. Yeah. Um, and to learn it in a way that's also excellent literature and beautiful writing and great characters is just, oh, I just love that so much. <laughs> what a pleasure. It's such a pleasure, isn't it? Mm. To, to come across those stories where you, you're placed into a world that you're not in, but you can feel, I don't know, you just absorb some empathy. I don't know, some mm. understanding and perspective. Gosh, it's been lovely to chat with you. Um, and I cannot cannot wait to read your middle grade book. It's going to be fantastic. Maybe one day. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thank you so much. Please come and talk to me again um, when you're getting closer to finishing and, and about the process. I'd love that. Oh, awesome. awesome. It's been such a good chat. Um, and if people want to find out what you're up to, can they just sort of stalk your Twitter or, um, like, where do you live? No, I'm not. I'm joking. But <laughs> I live on the internet. Uh, yeah, no, stalk my Twitter because I basically put um, everything on there. Um, I do have like a author Facebook and Instagram, but I tend to neglect those. So <laughs> really want to know what I'm doing um, at Olivia. A musket with underscores between all the things. Um, do people still call them underscores? I think Underline? so, yes. Yeah, Olivia underscore yeah. A underscore musket. Amazing. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. Such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this podcast, produced and presented by me, Jasper Peach. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jasper Peach Says. Huge gratitude to Monique Bodger for her original music created just for us. If you'd like to support my work, generally having a chat with people, getting words on the page about books, writing, parenting, queerness, disability, all that jazz, I've got one of those buy me a coffee page things and links are available in the show notes as well as the profile on all my socials. Recent contributions are paying for a microphone arm so I can have a bit more of an ergonomic setup and not lean at an odd angle over a towering pile of books which is what usually ends up happening. It's not structurally sound and I really appreciate anyone who's kicked in. It really makes such a difference. Thanks heaps for the chat Olivia A. Musket and next time look it'll either be Elsa Wild or Eloise Grills depending on what's happening um, with editing and also um, 
and some great news, my first book's going to print in the next few weeks. Um, so that'll be, well, that goes to print in August. It'll be out in March next year. So might be a bit focused on that. Might be doing a bit of procrastinate podcasting. Who knows? I'll definitely be banging on about whatever's happening on Twitter. Till next time, may your sense of self be strong and not feel threatened by two beautiful, inclusive words like birthing parent. <laughs>